0: In order to be successful in business, David, I always say that we need two things. We need a product or service and the systems that will support the execution of the product and service to make the customer happy. Uh, And number two, we need customers that want to pay. And so when you start a brand new business, you may think that you have the products and services people want, but oftentimes you have to work at it for a while and you figure out that maybe the market wants something a little bit different than you thought. So that can take some work when you start a new business. And secondly, when you start a new business, you don't have any clients. You have to go and find them. And those people presumably are being served by somebody else.
1: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with private transaction advisor, David Barnett. In today's episode, you'll learn how to achieve greater financial success as a solopreneur through the transactions of buying or selling a business. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome David Barnett. David has been working with small and medium-sized businesses for over 20 years, He has helped entrepreneurs buy and sell them, he's helped them grow, and he's helped people finance them. David is the author of eight books about small business transactions and local investing. He's the host of a YouTube channel with hundreds of videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses, and can be found anytime at his blog site, davidcbarnett.com. David, welcome back to the show. Great to have you on again. David, thanks for inviting me. It's always fun to be here. You have a really fascinating background. Uh, could you just, you know, provide a little kind of snapshot about your career?
0: Oh, sure. So, uh, yeah, lifelong interest in entrepreneurship, and even as a child, always, you know, starting businesses and figuring out ways to earn money, and um, thought that going to business school was going to be a way to learn how to be a businessman, but. By the time I got to third year, David, I realized that what they really wanted to do was turn me into what I now call a Fortune 500 bureaucrat, You know, one of those middle manager guys in a a big company. And so when I got out of school, um, I was very fortunate that I was able to have a career with the Yellow Pages. And so I would go and call on the owners and managers of small and medium-sized businesses and find out how they made money and what kind of customers they were looking for. And that's where I really developed a... What I call a, a an inch deep, mile wide sort of expertise in business, where I got to learn a little bit about almost every kind of business out there, and um, eventually I knew that I wanted to do my own thing. So, with Google coming, especially, I knew the days for the yellow pages were numbered. This was back, you know, around the year two thousand. So I left um, left the yellow pages, started a business of my own, and after doing that for about a year and a half, I realized my heart really wasn't in it. So I sold that business. That was the first time I had a hand in selling a business, and then I became a finance broker for small businesses, helping to obtain operating leases, capital leases, uh, factoring facilities for small businesses, getting them loans, lines of credit, and that led me into the time of the Great Financial Crisis, where a lot of the companies I was working with went under. So I pivoted into business brokerage because I saw that there was an opportunity there in my market. Uh, people weren't really being served as well as it could be. So I became a business broker and joined up with a big international franchise brand that gave me access to training so I could learn how to do it properly. I did that for three years, but uh, business brokerage is a contingency paid kind of business. So, you know, you, you work hard. Sometimes you work on a file for years, David, and then if you sell it, you get paid. If you never sell it, you never get paid. And so over three years, I sold three dozen companies for people, but that doesn't, that little snippet doesn't tell you the whole experience because in each of those three years I had periods ranging from seven to nine months with no deal closings. So all of the expenses just kept piling up and with no real money coming in. And so I like to point out that all the gray hair on my head comes from that period of my life because it was, it was the most stressful period of my life. I eventually decided to leave business brokerage and I became a banker for a couple of years and um,
1: banker as an employee
0: yeah i became an employee because i needed to reset my my focus and my destination went through a divorce at the same time had two small kids so i needed some financial stability in my life so i became an employee for a bank i did that for 4 years and during that time my phone kept ringing it was people that were given my name or people i had done business with before as a business broker looking for further help and yeah. I helped some of them on the side, a little side hustle, doing some consulting, but when the bank decided to reorganize and there was an opportunity for me to take a package, I realized, Hey, I should, I should do something different. I should get back into the world of buying and selling businesses, but I should do it with a different model. So instead of being a business broker this time around, I became a consultant. I even call myself sometimes a coach because I coach people through the process of doing a transaction, either from the buy or the sell side. And I'm a consultant in that I do things that people don't know how to do. So I'll work on evaluation work, I'll work on the deal structuring, I'll help people with things like um, you know, I'll help a buyer with a cash flow forecast, for example, to help get financing for the deal, that kind of thing. So I'm I'm both coaching them through the process and doing consulting work for them as we move forward. And that just grew and grew. That was over five years ago. Writing the books, establishing the YouTube channel, that was all part and parcel of doing that to help me reach more potential clients.
1: So you built a business that has some greater financial stability than than a business where you're only paid on commission once a deal is done. Yeah. So the big difference financially for me is that whenever I
0: work with someone, I bill them for what I do. So I like to say that that part of my business sort of copies the business model of attorneys, let's say. You know, so I get hired to do something, then I bill someone for it. And so I'm sending out invoices every week for that kind of stuff. But I also have, uh, you know, a few online courses that I've created. So when I was working with buyers, I kept noticing the same questions would come up all the time. So I developed an online course and I keep adding to it. It's about 14 hours of content now. It's just a couple hundred dollars. But for a lot of buyers, I'll let them know that if they invest in the course, then the consulting time spent with me will be a lot more valuable because a lot of the basics I won't have to cover with them. They'll, they'll learn all of that through taking the online program. And then on, you know, to extend that even further, you know, I actually have a group coaching program as well that I started back in 2018, which always has between 20 and 30 members. We meet a few times every month and the calls are archived for, for people to go back and listen to, but it's a place where people who are searching for a business and looking at businesses and negotiating for a business can come and meet with me and talk with me and share with each other. We have several people in the group now who've executed deals, but they've remained in the group because they want to do more deals. And so not only do group members benefit from their interaction with me, but also from the interaction with each other and getting to learn as they see other people work on their deals and hear About the back and forth with sellers and their experience with lenders and that type of thing. Do you still execute deals as a broker? Uh, No, I don't. And it's interesting because I do help people sell a business, but I do not follow the brokerage model. So I, I just recently helped a couple in Chicago sell their coffee shop. And what a broker might do is engage with them, do an evaluation, advertise the business for sale, go find a buyer, work with the buyer try to help negotiate an agreement, maybe help the buyer get financing the whole the whole package. Where my process differs is that I don't represent the seller at any point in time. I do not take an agency function. And so I worked with those sellers and I evaluated their business to show them what it might sell for. I build them for that. And then I created a buyer-facing package. We call that a business profile or a SIM. I built that package for them so that they are ready to go to market And I charged them for that. So they paid me for that. Then they asked for my help for the advertising. So I ran an advertising program where I listed their business for sale on biz sell. When buyers made inquiries, those inquiries came to me and I replied back with an NDA and a questionnaire. But when those were completed, they then went to the seller directly. And if the seller thought that that was a good candidate, the seller contacted that person directly. So the model that I follow is not that I'm selling your business for you. It's that I am helping you along the way I'm facilitating and, and coaching you through the process, but it's the business seller that sold the business. And so that person paid me for the evaluation for the business profile. They paid me a monthly fee to run the ad program and a few hours of consulting work. And then they executed the deal and sold their business. And of course there was no commission due to me at that time. So it's a, it's a different kind of business model and it means that my income is more certain And overall, it means that for the seller, if they've got a good sellable business, it ends up costing them less because here's the, one of the downsides I see to the business brokerage model as it's practiced in general, you know, the people who have a good sellable business that sells, the brokers have to charge those people a high enough commission to also cover the time they invest with the people whose businesses never sell because the broker isn't earning any money from those people. And so in a way, people who build a successful business are subsidizing the efforts going into those who build businesses that don't sell, and which isn't really fair, I don't think. And so my clientele you know, generally end up investing less money in help from me, but every single person I work with ends up paying me.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So now in your own business, are you basically functioning as a solopreneur? I do have a team. So I have a couple of subcontractors
0: who do project work for me and I have a full-time assistant, a young woman who's in the Philippines and who helps me with a lot of my social media. And I do a a lot of marketing effort for someone who's pretty much a a one person show. I mean, most of the client service work is still just on my shoulders, but I try to have a pretty strong online presence and um, to meet new people, new prospective clients
1: all the time. So, so here's a question that kind of combines your own experience as someone who is maybe not exclusively a solopreneur, but close to it, along with your experience of buying and selling businesses, which is for someone who is coming out of a long corporate career and wants the future to be in his or her own business as um, primarily a solo focusing on their their expertise can buying a business both accelerate the process of them reaching stability as a consultant and also provide perhaps greater financial opportunity than if they just try to build their own consulting business from scratch yeah so, uh, in order to be successful in business, David, I always say that we need two things. We need
0: a product or service and the systems that will support the execution of the product and service to make you know, the customer happy. And number two, we need customers that want to pay. And so when you start a brand new business, you may think that you have the products and services people want, but oftentimes you have to work at it for a while and you figure out that maybe the market wants something a little bit different than you thought. So that can take some work when you start a new business. And secondly, when you start a new business, you don't have any clients. You have to go and find them. And those people presumably are being served by somebody else. So in order to bring them over to your side, you have to entice them in some way, which can either mean maybe working for less or delivering more value than than they might normally receive for for the fees they're willing to pay. And so it's tough. And this is why so many new businesses fail. Because people are struggling to get out there and get enough new clients, and figure out how to serve them quickly enough to reach that break-even point before they run out of resources and have to, you know, give up. By buying a business, you can get the clients and the products and service already in place. Here's the issue, though, when you're talking about consulting, especially these small solopreneur-style consulting businesses. The question is, where does the goodwill reside? So if you think about the corner store near your house, everyone in the neighborhood knows there's a store there. Everyone in the neighborhood maybe has an idea of what their hours are. Everyone in the neighborhood knows the kinds of things that they carry and they have for sale. And so if that store were to change hands tomorrow and have a new owner, no one in the neighborhood probably will care. As long as they can still go there and get the things that they're customarily getting there. Right? And so for that kind of business, the goodwill resides with the business, or you could even say with the location. Right? When it comes to a consulting business, a lot of the clientele are going to have a strong relationship with the individual delivering the product or service. And so if that business were to sell, the big question is, are those customers still going to want to deal with that business if the primary individual that they they have a relationship with has gone. And so this is what makes buying or selling one of these small solopreneur type consulting practices a little more complicated. And so what traditionally happens is from a buyer's point of view, you want to ensure that the goodwill that exists either with the business or the individual that is the consultant is going to end up transferring to you. And there's, there's two ways that these deals go down. One way is with a long overlap period. So the new consultant joins the established consultant and they may purchase the business in that moment, but the way it's presented to the clientele or to the public is that this is a partner or someone who has joined the established person as part of a succession plan. And the two of them work together for some period of time, the seller could be retreating into sort of a semi-active kind of role, but their presence is still there so that that goodwill can transfer amongst the clientele. So people that are used to dealing with the original person can start to get to know the new person, knowing that the established person is still somewhere involved in the process. So that's, that's one thing that is often done for this kind of deal. From the point of view of the buyer, you know, if you are doing these one-off consulting projects that are, let's say, irregular in nature. So maybe you serve a client once every couple of years. Well, the question then is, what value does the client list hold if we're not certain about whether or not some of these clients are going to be coming forth in the next little while to do business with a new owner? And so when I'm talking with buyers who are looking at these kinds of businesses, one of the things I, I try to to conceptualize with them, this idea is that they have to think of the business seller like a salesperson who has curated a clientele. That clientele is ready to buy, but what is this business worth, right? It's very difficult to say the business is worth some kind of function of prior sales if we don't know how frequently those customers are going to come back. And so, a lot of the times, these deals, when it comes to pricing and deal terms, are structured around future activity. So, this is sometimes called an earnout. And so, you might say, yeah, I was working with an accountant actually a few months ago. We did a deal together. I helped them do a deal. And the buying accountant created what they called a legacy client list. And there was a small upfront payment for the business. And then for the following three years, the purchasing accountant is going to pay a percentage of revenues derived from the legacy client list. These are the clients that the older accountant has handed over to the new person. Any new accounts that the new person establishes are not included in this deal. And so if some of those clients don't like the new person or for whatever reason, stop doing business with the new person, the new person isn't going to be paying anything for them. But if those established accounts grow in value, then the seller will participate in that growth. So when you're in business, you bear the full brunt of the risk of your clientele not doing business with you, right? That's just part of being in business. When it comes to selling one of these small solopreneur type of consulting practices, the seller often has to continue to bear the risk of those relationships into the selling and payment period it's really the only way that a buyer can move forward with a great degree of confidence that they're going to be getting what they're paying for is by actually getting the business first and then paying for it
1: afterwards so how do you know going into this like like let's say you know you've just left corporate and you are you now hanging out your own shingle so to speak and you're thinking about perhaps buying one of these practices as a way to accelerate your own financial success. How do you know whether it's going to be financially advantageous to buy somebody else's business versus just trying to do it yourself?
0: Well, you, you create a deal where there would be no downside. So, so for example, if I was going to start off on my own, just prospecting, looking for clients, then, you know, hundred percent of the revenue that comes from those clients is going to come to me. But that revenue is highly uncertain. I have to go and find every bit of it. Whereas if I make a deal with someone and, and make them a deal, say, Hey, you know, introduce me to your clientele, teach me what it is that you do so I can deliver in a similar way. And for every one of these people that comes and does business with me over the next three years, I'll pay you a percentage, right? So all of a sudden you have this ready made list of clients. And if they step forward and do business with you, then you pay for that. You know, you, you pay the seller for the fact that that relationship was there and these people were willing to do business with you. But if they don't step forward, you don't pay. And so in that way, this is where I've I'm, I'm come up with the idea of think about the seller like they were a salesperson for you. Because if you were engaged in as a solopreneur in your own consulting practice and you hired a salesperson to go out and find you business, you'd be paying that salesperson a percentage. And it's this kind of framework that you want to think about when you look at making one of these deals. If we're talking about a business that has regular, consistent, everyday sort of business. So for example, I was speaking recently with someone who does surveying and development work for a whole series of contractors. And these contractors come to them several times a year for having this kind of work done. That's a more regular kind of of business. It's easier for somebody to go in there and say, I can predict that these clients are still going to want to do business with me if I take over this business. And so that's the kind of business where you might arrive at a, an arrangement where you make more of a, a cash down payment when you're buying the business, there's, there still could be an earn out or something subject to performance or a, or a seller note representing you know part of the value that you're paying. But it's when we're talking about these consulting businesses that are infrequently serving their clientele, We there's no guarantee that any of those clients are going to come back and do business. And there's no guarantee they're going to want to do business with the new owner. And this is why it needs to be structured in a fashion where you pay based on the performance or business that's done.
1: Yeah, the structure is really very important. It's quite clear. So yeah, thank you for illustrating that. I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about your own experience working in a community setting or maybe your experience being a member of a community because clearly that is now part of your own business model.
0: Well, but before we move on, I mean, we can relate this to the sale of my business brokerage. Because when I got decided to leave business brokerage, I actually sold the practice to one of my associates. And the deal that we worked out was that I would get a percentage of any revenues that came from any of the files I had opened during my tenure as the owner. So that's a directly similar representation of what we're talking about here. So the, the person who took over, his name was Felipe. Felipe. You know, he got to take over a business brokerage practice. He didn't have to start from scratch. He started with several files that had already been opened by me. And if he was able to bring any of those files to fruition, it meant that he would then pay me a cut of the commissions earned. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about, where it was a performance based payout based on, you know, future cash flows.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great example. So thank you for sharing that. So now let's talk about community. Sure. Yeah, so what's your experience been with community in a, in a business setting? It's interesting
0: because when I when I first started down this pathway, I was doing consulting work with people and then I created the online course for business buyers because I kept getting the same questions from people. And as more and more as my audience grew online and I started to meet more and more people through social media through LinkedIn, etc., people would take this program and then say, "Now I want more of your help." But when it came to working one-on-one with people, my hourly rate, you know, made it a little bit cost prohibitive for some people to be able to get on the phone with me every week, for example. And they wanted to learn more. They wanted to be more exposed to this stuff, but they weren't ready to spend a whole bunch of time with me one-on-one. And so my first effort or iteration at trying to leverage time to serve multiple people at a time was to create a cohort program where I designed a program. It was going to be a one-year program for people that wanted to buy a business. And I had planned out what we were going to be doing at the different times and what they were going to be doing and what their commitments would be. And it was very difficult to sell. I would promote it. And then people would say, Hey, that's a great program, but I don't want a one-year program. I want a 90 day program, or that's really great. But the start date isn't good for me is, you know, can I be in the next cohort? And so all of these logistical things started to happen where I realized it's going to be very hard to try to get, you know, eight or 10 people to join together at the same time to be on the same schedule over the course of one year. And then I I also quickly realized that if I was expecting them to execute certain things as part of their homework, you know, they might not do it. And then what happens? Do we all get held back? You know? So I was actually in London as a tourist And I bought a ticket for one of those uh, sightseeing tours where they have the buses that go on the circuits and uh, you can just get on and off the bus whenever you want. And they come by every 20 minutes and you might get on a different bus the next time. And you can just kind of go at your own pace. And I realized that's the model the the hop on hop off model is the one I need. So I created a program where we would meet three times a month and we would discuss deals But then I also created a way for people to join us after we'd already gotten started. And so the way my program works is that people will sign up, they go through a a workbook that has 12 different modules, they fill in a lot of questions, then they meet with me for a one-on-one assessment where we help to create their own personalized search plan, and then they join the group meetings, and they can go back and listen to the past group meetings if they want. But it allows people to come in and join the group whenever they are ready. And then people who are in the group, some of them participate at a much higher level than others. Some of them are entirely passive. They don't even show up. They just listen to the recordings. Others are very active and they're in there all the time and they're doing the work and they're doing the actions and they're achieving the results. Others show up and they're on their own pace and they're in there for a year before they start to really do the work. And it's okay because using this model, I'm able to deliver for them what it is that they're willing to get out of the program based on the efforts that they put in. Some people join for a year and then just leave without having achieved anything because they didn't do the work. Other people have been in the program for three years and have bought three businesses, you know, because they're, they're doing the activity, they're doing the action and they're taking advantage of what we're able to give in the group as far as feedback and and helping with direction and ideas. So, and it's, and it's great for me from a business point of view, because I charge them on a recurring basis. When I first started, I offered a monthly membership fee, which I've since removed. Now the most basic membership is quarterly. What began to happen is we started to have people who would join, download all the call recordings and then quit after a month. And I I said, you know what? These are not the kinds of people that I want joining the group because they would go through the onboarding process with me, take an hour of my time, download all that content, and then they'd be gone. And I thought, if someone's going to join this group, I want them to be at least committed to being here for a calendar quarter. So I made the quarterly option the the smallest option, and it's worked out tremendously since then, that the people who join really are serious about doing this because they're making at least a three-month commitment. And the average tenure of people in the group now is over a year and a half. So people do stick around, and they're serious about it.
1: Yeah. When do you think it's most advantageous to use a community model versus some other kind of model?
0: Well, you know, for me, I was looking for a way to serve more people with less of my own time, and to share that efficiency with the customer. So people who are in that program, for example, they'll get three monthly calls. And then there's also some other things that, that we do in the group to get access to my time. But the if you break the quarterly membership down to a monthly fee, it's about 60% of what I charge for one hour of my one-on-one consulting time. So it's very cost-effective for people that want to be in the group but it's also very income effective for me because i'm i get to multiply you know the value that i receive for my time but then the other little spark is the is the people in the group that share amongst each other so so there's value created just by being together in the group i think the key is just having a big enough audience or market of people that are willing to sign up you need to get to the point where you can actually get a few people to sign up. I remember when I first started, I promoted like crazy. And of course I had a very, you know, aggressive, aggressively low price, you know, to try to make it enticing for people to join. And I think in the first month of promotion, I managed to find like four or five people that were in there. And some of our group calls, I was the only person who showed up. I had to, I had to have a a topic ready to do sort of a monologue if no one showed up. And in some of those calls, I get one or two people but I stuck with it and it continued to grow. And now every call, I know that I'm going to have between seven and 10 people. And so I don't prepare a list of topics anymore that I might have to do uh, in a solo fashion for one of the meetings, because I know that there are going to be people that show up.
1: Well, congratulations on figuring all this out, having the perseverance uh, to get where you are now, and also being able to serve a market that may not be right or ready for a different model of service delivery. So congratulations on all that. If someone wants to check out your program or any of these resources that you have that we talked about during the course of the the episode, where's the best place for them to go and how can they get in touch with you?
0: My my general blog site. So if, if someone is interested in learning more about buying and selling businesses, if you go to davidcbarnett.com. That is the the main blog site where you'll find posts with my latest videos and sign up for my email list, etc. Everything in general about me all my different courses and things. But if you want to directly see the the membership program that I was talking about, that's over at businessbuyeradventure.com is the landing page where there's a, a video that shows people what's involved in the group. It mentions that my other online course is actually a prerequisite to people joining and it lists out all of the different features and benefits of the program and invites people to have a a brief telephone call with me. Most of the people who sign up end up taking advantage of that call just so we can chit-chat and find out about their situation to make sure they are, in fact, well-suited to joining the group. The last thing I want is for people to join who, who aren't going to be able to take advantage of it. And, um, and I've, I've told more than one person that, you know, this isn't for you. I want to make sure that, uh, people who join are going to be able to take advantage of what they learn and are going to be able to grow into contributors to the group. Sounds great.
1: Well, I want to thank you again for, uh, taking the time to work through all this with us. My guest today has been private transaction advisor, David Barnett. Thank you, David, for joining us.
0: No, oh, thanks David for having me. It's great to be here.
1: When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with David Barnett, we learned how to achieve greater financial success as a solopreneur through the transactions of buying or selling a business. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.